I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In August 1997, in Northern California, a heavily decomposed body of a young black girl was found alongside a highway. She was just 12 years old and her name was Georgia Leah Moses. To this day, her killer or killers have still not been brought to justice, and her case hasn't gotten the attention it should have for years. With Georgia's case cold, but still ongoing, Georgia's sister seeks answers and justice. I'm your host, Nisa. Welcome to the Lost Crimes Library podcast. This is the lost story of the tragic murder of Georgia Leah Moses. Georgia Leah Moses was a 12-year-old girl growing up in Santa Rosa, California. She was something of an old soul. She was young, but she definitely had more responsibilities than most 12-year-olds. She was caring and responsible for her young age, and she was the kind of person who protected classmates from bullies. Georgia cared for her mother who suffered from mental illness and looked after her younger sister without complaining. Georgia basically raised herself and her sister Angel who was only seven years old. At the time, while Angel was living at home with their mother Ida and Ida's boyfriend Edward Pope in Santa Rosa, Georgia was staying at a family friend's house. Despite living in separate houses, though, Georgia always made sure to check up on her little sister. Sometimes Georgia would visit Angel and braid her hair. Georgia did not like Edward Pope, and she tried her hardest to stay away from him. For one, he was always at her mother's place despite him having his own apartment. And two, in the spring of 1997, Georgia got in an argument with Eddie after he followed Georgia into her room. He gave her this ultimatum that if she wasn't willing to do whatever Eddie wanted, she had to leave her mother's home. And so, that's what she did. She left home. However, Angel and her mother, Ida, eventually got evicted from their place, and so they both moved in with Eddie in Santa Rosa. Even though Georgia did not move with them, she still kept some of her belongings at Eddie's place in Santa Rosa because she had this routine of stopping by every day to check on her younger sister and her mother. Actually, the night Georgia went missing, she stopped by her mother's house to see Angel. In an interview with Dateline, Angel recalled the night Georgia was last seen, saying, quote, 
She came over that night, the last night she was seen. I begged her to take me with her. She said she couldn't, but that she would come back for me. She never did. That was the last time I saw her. End quote. On August 27, 1997, a Caltrans worker attending to a broken guardrail off Highway 101 in Petaluma, California, stumbled upon the decomposing body of a young black girl. This girl was left nude near the road in a grove of trees. She was so badly decomposed that police actually at first believed this young girl was a young woman. They also had great difficulty identifying the body. On the same day, the young girl's body was found along Highway 101. Back in Santa Rosa, Child Protective Services stopped by Angel and Georgia's home to ask about a suspected sex offender in the area. Apparently, CPS received information that a pedophile was living in their house. This tip was actually regarding their mother's boyfriend, Edward Pope, who was a convicted child molester. Living with children was obviously a huge parole violation for Edward Pope, and CPS wanted to talk with Angel to see if anything inappropriate had happened. So they took her outside to talk. However, Angel had something else she wanted to tell them. Georgia was last seen on the night of August 13, 1997. She wasn't seen or heard from for over a week, which was unusual behavior for Georgia. Ida had figured that her daughter was just with the family friends she had been staying with, and that's why she didn't see Georgia much. But Angel was really worried about her big sister. Angel spoke up and told CPS that her sister had been missing for over a week. So, at just seven years old, Angel had to be the one to report her older sister missing, and Angel was taken away from Ida and placed in a children's group home. I think it's important to note that it's unclear how or when Georgia was officially reported missing to police. It's possible that Angel reported to CPS, and then CPS talked with Ida about it, and then Ida reported Georgia missing. However, another theory comes from a statement by police in 2021 that said Georgia was reported missing after anonymous tipster contacted the Santa Rosa police saying she had been missing for almost two weeks. That police department took a report and issued a flyer to other local law enforcement agencies. This is supposedly how people were able to connect the dots between Georgia and that unidentified body found along Highway 101. A third scenario comes from the coroner's report stating that CPS actually made the missing persons report to Santa Rosa police, and then Santa Rosa police spoke to Ida, Eddie, and Angel about possible abuse at Eddie's apartment. I say all of this to show how many gaps and how much confusion was already surrounding Georgia's case from the very beginning. The fact that the records regarding who made the missing persons report, or even if it was filed, is clearly not known or traceable is problematic, and sadly this trend of mishaps only continued in her case. At first, because Georgia had not yet been reported missing to police, there were no reports to match the body found near Highway 101. After the discovery of this young girl's body near the highway, and with no leads regarding her identity, an anonymous tip was submitted suggesting that there was a possibility of this unidentified girl being Georgia. One connection made between Georgia and this unidentified body was that Georgia was last seen wearing braids, and the unidentified girl was wearing her hair in braids too. On August 25th, the autopsy was conducted, but the police still didn't know who she was or how she died. 
This young girl was strangled and so badly decomposed that dental records had to be used to identify the body. This is when they learned that the deceased girl was actually Georgia Leah Moses. According to the Sonoma County Sheriff's Office, Georgia had been strangled. But they have refused to offer any more details about the case because it's currently still an ongoing investigation. There are some reports floating out there saying Georgia was sexually assaulted. However, this never came from the Sonoma County Sheriff's Office, so I don't feel comfortable saying that this is for sure what happened to Georgia. Perhaps it was assumed because Georgia was found naked. Georgia's cause of death was ruled as strangulation, and the coroner listed the night of August 13th and the early morning of August 14th as two possible dates of death. However, the coroner ultimately determined August 13th as Georgia's date of death. If you remember, this was also the day Georgia was last seen alive. To figure out what happened to Georgia, it was important to find out more about the days and the moments leading up to her murder. The events of August 13th are as follows. On the day she went missing, Georgia spent time at a friend's family's house in Santa Rosa. While there, they talked on the phone, listened to music, and drank sodas. At some point, Georgia went back to Eddie's apartment to check on Angel like usual. That day, Georgia and Angel went out to a store around the corner and then headed back to Eddie's. At this point, it was already the evening or the nighttime. According to Angel, she remembers on their walk home that a man approached them and Georgia stopped to talk to them. And according to Angel, this was someone they knew, but she couldn't remember exactly who it was. But she remembers that the man was big, muscular, and tall and wearing a white shirt. Georgia told Angel to go ahead and walk home, and so she did. But while walking away, Angel looked over her shoulder one last time to see what was happening, and she noticed Georgia handing the man her pager. After this, Georgia continued walking home with Angel. When they returned home, Georgia did Angel's hair and got her ready for the night. Before Georgia left, Angel begged for her big sister to stay. Georgia then went back to her friend's house. According to the friend, during their time together, Georgia received a page on her pager and called the number back using her friend's house phone. Georgia told her friend that she was going to a party in Petaluma and had invited her friend to come with. However, her friend's mom said no. According to Georgia's friend, Georgia seemed apprehensive about going by herself, but Georgia also told her friend that there would be people she knew there. The friend claims she tried to convince Georgia not to go, but Georgia said she had to because she needed to take care of her family. The friend claimed that sometime after this call, around 10 p.m., she walked Georgia to a nearby gas station where she left with an unidentified man. The 76th gas station, where Georgia was last seen, was located at Sebastopol and Dutton Avenue Road in Santa Rosa, California. This gas station is located near an exit off Highway 101, which is the same highway where Georgia's body was found. The friend said that Georgia later called them to tell them that she would not be back for the night. This phone call to Georgia's friend is reportedly the last contact Georgia made. The unidentified man that Georgia was seen with was described as an African-American man around 6'2 and 6'3, with a short fade haircut weighing approximately 200 pounds. He appeared to be between 24 to 30 years old, and he was seen driving a small four-door white car. 
Back in September 1997, the Sonoma County Sheriff's Office released a sketch of the man Georgia was believed to have last been seen with. I think Georgia's home environment, mindset, and the activities leading up to the months before she died are just as important as the information about her whereabouts on the day she went missing. According to Angel's memory, she and her sister were taken away from Ida on at least three different occasions by CPS. Ida, suffering from mental illness and knowing she couldn't care for her own daughters, even reached out to CPS a few times for help. But CPS would always end up returning Angel and Georgia back to their mother. In addition, Angel said that Georgia started to change after she began spending time with this older group of friends in January 1997. She started dressing differently and acting different, even smoking weed, cigarettes, and she even lost interest in dancing, which was her absolute favorite thing to do. According to Angel, Georgia's mood changed too. She went from this happy girl to a depressed girl. By late spring 1997, Georgia's grades had dropped substantially because she was barely going to school and she had no parental supervision. According to Angel, Georgia told school administrators that she couldn't come back to school because she needed to take care of her family. And you would think that the school would intervene after this, but there was no indication that there were reports made from the school to the appropriate authorities. And to make matters worse, there were no records that school officials, at the very least, discussed Georgia's academic situation with her mother, Ida. Georgia was also starting to hang out with an older group of friends that could have been pushing her in the wrong direction. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Apparently, this older friend group of Georgia made regular trips to San Francisco to do sex work, which they referred to as parties. And sometimes, they would bring Georgia with them. Obviously, any child in this environment is not participating in sex work. They are being sex trafficked. Only adults, people of age, can participate in what we call sex work. Sexual abuse or the exploitation of minors can never be defined as sex work. Angel believes that Georgia may have been sex trafficked by that older group of friends Georgia had been spending more time with. In July 1997, things started to look up for the Moses family because Ida was considering moving back to her hometown in Buffalo, New York, and reuniting with the rest of her family. Georgia was really excited about this prospect, because she considered it a chance to start over. But this didn't happen, because Ida's purse got stolen. This meant everything Ida needed to make this move, like her ID, money, and her social security card, were all gone. Angel has felt like this was a strategic move by someone close to the family, a way of keeping the family, and more specifically, Georgia, in the area. So, the move to New York was put on hold. We know that CPS intervention would have been really helpful during this time in Georgia's life, for many reasons. But a major reason is because Ida was with her boyfriend, Eddie, at the time, who was a convicted child molester. But there was also the fact that Ida herself was hanging out with a less-than-favorable crowd. She was spending more time with some local families who all knew each other. Some of these friends actually overlapped with the new friends Georgia was hanging out with. Since being kicked out, Georgia spent most of her time with this one woman, a woman Ida had also been spending a lot of her time with. The woman was Ida's home health care aide, and Angel has said the house Georgia lived in was basically a crack house. It was no place for children to live. Thanks to Angel's hard work, conducted during her independent investigation into her own sister's murder, we have learned another important piece of information about the time leading up to Georgia's murder. Apparently, the Sonoma County District Attorney's Office learned about Eddie's involvement with the Moses family as early as April 1997, according to Angel. If this is true, why didn't they take action sooner? Why did they wait to check on the girls until the end of August 1997? Angel learned that police made a huge mistake from the very beginning that set the tone for everything that followed. This big mistake was that the police didn't even get Georgia's name right. For years, Georgia Leah Moses was called Georgia Lee Moses. This mistake was made in the media, in police records, in her death certificate, and even her gravestone. Even Angel didn't know her sister's middle name was Leah until recently when she began her own investigation into her murder. Police apparently got the info from a relative who wasn't telling the truth. It's not clear why this relative would lie about this, though. But what's really shocking is that police never bothered to confirm or double-check with Ida or school records or a birth certificate. And allegedly, the police department never took ownership for this mistake either, claiming the family should have reached out to them to have the error fixed. To make matters worse, in a Facebook post by the police about Georgia's case, 
In 2020, she is still referred to as Georgia Lee Moses. The fact that they still didn't correct their mistake after being corrected is very telling. Angel says that police made other big mistakes too, like not following up on credible leads and not reporting accurate information to the public. An example of this was when one of Georgia's friends thought the composite sketch looked just like her mom's ex-boyfriend, a firefighter from San Francisco, and came forward to police about their suspicions. This man knew Georgia. They had given her a ride home from her friend's house, and they had access to a white four-door car, which was his girlfriend's Honda. Not to mention, this man had a reputation of acting inappropriately with young girls. So, the friend went to speak to the police, but she wasn't taken seriously. To add, the friend's mom also spoke to police about this man, and an anonymous tip was submitted by a family friend of theirs because they remembered seeing him with Georgia sometimes. Despite there being different tips about the same person, Angel says police never took any reports on any of these statements. And it wasn't just law enforcement that failed Georgia. The majority of the local news coverage was problematic, too. From the very beginning, there was this narrative released to the public about Georgia that painted this 12-year-old victim as a troubled kid who had no future. This little girl was basically blamed for her own death. For example, one article quoted Eddie in which he referred to Georgia as a troublemaker. On top of this, her case just didn't receive enough attention. The 1993 kidnapping and murder of Polly Class which took place a few years before Georgia's murder, received national media attention. Polly Class was a white 12-year-old girl who was kidnapped at knife point during a slumber party at her mother's home in Petaluma, California, and was eventually strangled to death. Her killer was Richard Allen Davis, and he was convicted in 1996 and sentenced to death. Actress Winona Ryder, who had been raised in Petaluma, even offered a $200,000 reward for Polly Class's safe return during the search. In 1997, after Georgia's murder, people in the community were outraged that Georgia's case wasn't receiving anywhere near the same attention as Polly Class's case in the media, and they believed class and race played a major part in why. After there were outcries from the public about Georgia's case not getting enough attention, and a large memorial being built in her honor, the police felt pressure to finally increase the reward in her case up to $15,000. In November 1998, the police thought they had a lead when a truck driver named Wayne Adam Ford, who had ties to Petaluma, confessed to murdering four women. Earlier that year, the Sonoma County officials had also connected Ford to a brutal assault of a sex worker in Santa Rosa. But after police interviewed this man, they were convinced that he actually wasn't involved with Georgia's murder. But in the months that followed, there were no updates in the case, and the case stalled again. A couple years later, another potential suspect was looked into by police, a former substitute teacher from Petaluma named Carr. Apparently, this suspect was obsessed with the kidnapping and murder of Polly Class. The police actually searched this suspect's home in 2001 in connection with George's murder. In the search, police found sexually explicit photos of children on the household computer. This suspect was charged for child pornography possession. But before an arrest could be made, the suspect fled to Thailand. 
However, they wound up resurfacing again a few years later in 2006 in connection with another high-profile murder case. They confessed to killing John Bonet Ramsey. But by then, they had been cleared in Georgia's case, and the confession about killing John Bonet turned out to be false. I want to talk about Eddie Pope. I think to most, he seems like an obvious potential suspect given his record as a convicted child molester. Also, his interactions with Georgia seemed tense at the very least. But Angel has said the police told her that Eddie had an alibi for that night, and he was eventually cleared from suspicion. Even though suspects popped up throughout the years and eventually ended up being cleared by police, the police stopped getting new information and the case went cold. Angel told Dateline that she had made many attempts over the years since her sister's death to contact the Sonoma County Sheriff's Department to re-examine the case, but said she often got little to no response. This led Angel to start her own investigation. One theory that has come up during Angel's investigation is about a man who lived next to Georgia's friend's house, the friend she was last seen with. This man was heavy on the police's radar because in the 1960s, he was arrested for raping a teenager. In the 1970s, he was convicted for murder after he admitted to sexually assaulting and strangling a woman. He's currently in prison for continuous sexual abuse of a child. This man is white, so he wasn't the man who Georgia got into the car with that night, but he was really close to the friend's family, which would have allowed him access to Georgia at times. There is so much that is heartbreaking and frustrating about this case, from the mistakes made by law enforcement to the treatment of Georgia's identity by police and the media. What's really frustrating is that the Sonoma County Sheriff's Office has continually stated that the case is ongoing and active and that they are still working hard on solving the case, but they won't take ownership for their past errors and how those errors greatly affected how this case was investigated. I feel for Georgia's surviving sister, Angel, who has had to do the work that the police department is supposed to be doing. Instead of being able to fully dedicate this time grieving and healing, Angel has had to spend years reliving her sister's murder as she does her own investigation. After Georgia was killed, her sister and her mother moved to the state of Georgia to live with Angel's aunt. Angel eventually joined the military. She got married and had three children. A major way Georgia's memory lives on is through her sister Angel. Angel has begun her own investigation into her sister's death, and she's active on social media, always bringing awareness to her sister's case. She also started a podcast called They Called Her Georgia Lee. Back in 1998, a memorial garden and statue was set up for Georgia. At first, the memorial simply started with locals bringing flowers, but eventually there was a full garden including an angel statue in the memory of Georgia. The garden stood where Georgia's body was discovered until it was moved in 2012 to accommodate road construction. Today, Georgia's memorial stands in Petaluma City Hall. As the years have passed on, Georgia has never been forgotten. A woman named Leah Routley was so inspired by Georgia's story that she founded Santa Rosa's The Children's Village which was a home for neglected and abused children. This nonprofit lasted for 10 years, but was sadly shut down in 2006 when it lost funding. And sadly, the founder has since passed away. On January 7, 2021, 
Roughly 30 people gathered for a memorial walk on what would have been Georgia's 36th birthday. All who attended were asked to wear yellow in honor of Georgia, as they marched around downtown Petaluma, California, chanting, Justice has no expiration date. It has been more than two decades since Georgia was found dead. Her case is still unsolved. However, according to her website, a representative from the police department has stated that the case is currently listed as open. The Sonoma County Sheriff's Office spokesman, Sergeant Valencia, has stated that the case is considered a cold case, but as new leads come in, they are following up on each one of them. On April 19, 2022, an updated flyer about her case was released. Angel is now offering her own reward for information. A $25,000 reward was posted by the Sonoma County Sheriff's Department for any information leading to the arrest of the person or persons responsible for the murder of Georgia. Angel has said, quote, For seven years, she protected me. Now it's like we switched roles and I'm the big sister. I'm the protector. I have to do this for her. It's been 23 years, but justice has no expiration date. My sister will get her justice, end quote. Anyone with information about Georgia's case is asked to call the Sonoma County Sheriff's Office at 707-565-2185 or Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.